Ebb and flow inspires persistence and determination during the rhythmical patterns of decline and regrowth in life. Each episode, I bring on an inspiring and influential voices who are here to help us stand strong and walk through the ebb moments of life and propel us to the peak of our health, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, so we can live our life in the flow, individually and collectively. This includes strategies, habits, routines, focus tricks, questions, and much more that we can use to live our life in the best way in order to maximize our service to others. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you're as excited for the Ebb and Flow podcast as I am, but to make sure you don't miss any episodes, subscribe now on any stream, check out YouTube, or visit SolomonEzra.com to learn more. What is your true genius? What is it you most love to do? What is it you're doing that when you're doing it, you lose track of time? These are a few questions that my guest today came up with to help himself and each of us discover our unique abilities. I'm a firm believer that each and every one of us has our own personal legend, purpose, and unique abilities to share on this earth. By the grace of a birthday gift from my mother, I read one of my favorite books, The Big Leap by Dr. Gay Hendricks which not only affirmed my belief, but has taught me how to discover my own personal genius and how to overcome my upper limits. Or the ways that I and a lot of us continuously sabotage ourselves when we're feeling good. Today, I'm sharing with you an incredible opportunity I had to speak with him about his book, his journey, and so much more. I highly recommend this book to anyone who'd like to take their life to the next level. And I'd also like to encourage a cheerful, childlike wonder, as Gay mentions, for the questions above and throughout your whole day. It's a sure way to learn more about oneself in an enjoyable, playful manner that is fun. Because truly, finding your personal genius is a fun journey. Hi. Dr. Hendricks, can you hear me? I can. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you very much. It's an honor to be able to speak with you. Thank you. Um, what would you like me to call you, Solomon? Yes, that's perfect. Okay. All right. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Just had a wonderful day today. My wife and I live um, very close to the Ojai Valley Inn and Spa, and so we go over once a month and uh, do spa treatments, get a massage, get a facial, that kind of thing. So I've did that this afternoon and going to play golf over there tomorrow. So um, life is good. So I caught you uh, during a nice vacation time. It seems like a little bit. Yeah, I take my vacation every day, though. Which is very important. I think we're going to talk about that a little bit. So no, no ops today. No, no, none so far. <laughs> so, um, I'd, I'd love to get to know you a little bit more as well as, you know, dive into this book. My mother uh, gifted me this, the big leap on uh, my birthday uh, a couple months ago. So it's an honor to be able to have read it and now be able to speak with you about it on this, on my podcast. So, so thanks again. My pleasure. So I, um, to start, I'd love to, you know, hear a little bit about your background and to know through your eyes, really, what it was it like and what, what spurred your interest to get into the, the field of psychology, personal development. And you mentioned a little bit of stories, you know, how you started 
the concept of the big leap, but I'd like I'd love to hear it again, like through your eyes and how it really kind of came into um, reality. Yes. Well, one thing um, I started out. Um, you've probably heard that old story or the old myth of the wounded healer. You know that if you've had a personal wound, it makes you better able to heal other people. Well, I'm a classic example of that because. I was born in such a way that uh, I had a lot of problems early on in life, physical problems, because there was something wrong with my um, glandular uh, system. And so I was very fat baby. And then I became a very fat boy as a kid. And so um, I, um, I think I decided when I was a kid that I wanted to do something to help people in some way. And later on, I was in my 20s. And I had a kind of a big awakening in a moment of enlightenment yeah. and where I got a lot of the basic ideas that would later come into the big leap. Um, and I saw how I could redesign my whole life and my body, actually. And so within the next year, I lost more than 100 pounds and I quit wearing glasses and I found my career. And uh, so a whole bunch of magical things happened at that time. And they all boiled down to What's in the big leap is really two things. It's about how to overcome the upper limit problem, which is your tendency to sabotage yourself when you get up to a certain point and hit a ceiling, we you know, go back down. And so the upper limit problem, we, we need to know how to deal with that. And then the second thing that's in the big leap is all about how to discover your own personal genius. In the book, in the big leap, I call it your zone of genius. I now call it the genius spiral because zone is kind of a limiting concept. Um, like that, yeah. It's like, yeah. like a state of being as well. Yes. Yes. And um, so I, I got hold of these basic ideas and then I just started applying them to my own life. And then I started applying them to my clients. Um, in about 1969 or 70, I got the opportunity to go to Stanford for my PhD in counseling psychology. And so for the next three years, I worked very intensely uh, there in the Bay Area while I was working on my doctorate. I was also working a lot. It was the early days of Silicon Valley, where all of these huge businesses that are huge now were just, you know, like Hewlett Packard was quite small at the time, and now it has 100,000 employees. And, you know, all of those kinds of things were just starting. And so I got the opportunity to work with an incredible number of really talented people. And that's where I got this idea of the upper limit problem, because I would notice over and over again, <clears throat> like one of my executives had a big breakthrough at work where he got a $100,000 bonus for this idea he generated. And he was already making good money. You know, he's probably making a quarter of a million dollars a year, but having a $100,000 bonus is a big deal. Yeah. So what happened that afternoon? He got the bonus. He drove home to talk to his wife about it and then surprise her. They get in this huge argument. And that's exactly how the um, upper limit problem works. You can have a big breakthrough the other way, too. You can have a big breakthrough at home, you know, have a resolve some big issue with your mate, then go to work and hit the upper limit, too. So whatever line of work you're in, it, it doesn't matter. You know, I've, I've worked with something like eight or nine hundred uh, executives now in corporations, but it doesn't matter if you're an executive in a big corporation 
or the chairman of your local school board or just a person who wants to have a happy, happy family, we need to learn how to deal with those upper limits issues because otherwise you just keep banging your head against these things through your whole life. What, sorry to cut you off, but what are the different ways um, that it can show up? For, like, for example, like your, that uh, client you were speaking about, I think it might be the one you mentioned in the book. I don't remember exactly, but someone like you can be kind of, I feel like intellectually aware of that. The person's like, you know, oh, I just got this big raise. Oh, I'm kind of scared. And they might catch it, but then still not see that it affects like this for this guy example, you know, an argument with his wife. Can it like, what are the different ways that it can come up? Um, Arguments, illness, accidents are three very popular ways that people upper limit problem. Like the, the three P's you speak about. Kind of yeah, like also um, another thing is just having worry thoughts. Worry thoughts are one of the main ways people upper limit themselves. They get to feeling good and then all of a sudden mm, they're having thoughts about their kids or they're having thoughts about the past or something that you know, they haven't learned how to deal with in their life. And so you get these runaway thoughts, these worry thoughts, and those become an upper limit problem in themselves. Yeah. I, I think also the, if people can keep their eye on arguments and hassles with other people, that's probably the number one type of upper limit problem there is. Sometimes the upper limit involves things you put in your mouth, though. You know, people will have a big success at work, and then they'll go out that night and get drunk. Yeah, so uh, that happens to lots of people. I um, before I, I I'd love to ask a couple more questions about uh, like your background that you're bringing up, but you you brought up perfectly the worry and one of my favorite sections is where you bring up like the step by step and how you were walking by uh, on the street and you noticed some jewelry that you enjoyed and you were able to transform that worry thought to one of real kind of positivity. And I thought it was really cool because I had an experience of my own recently because normally it would take, you know, normally when you first are come aware of these concepts, it takes a little bit of time to actually end it. And so it's slowly, like you even mentioned, you know, from you want, it'll may take months and you want to break it to seconds even, like a nanosecond, you say. and so there was um, something that I came across that a friend had like a discount and I wanted to buy it, but I wasn't able to. However, because of my enjoyment of level of abundance, but then I, when I like sat with it and, and went through this, the process that I'd like you to, to, um, to clarify a little bit more clearer for, for other people that are listening is that I felt kind of low for, I'd say an hour or so. So it was working better from before. But when I really kind of sat with what I was feeling and journaled about it, and then I called up this friend, I had such a like live, enlivening moment because I genuinely felt like that positivity that you also spoke about. So could you kind of walk through that and how it came about? Yes, um, I don't remember the exact one you're referring to. Could you refresh my memory? Yes, I'll, I'll bring it up. Uh, I have it. Yeah, tell, tell the folks the, the story there, so I, and then I'll comment on it. Yeah, perfectly. So you said, 
So there's a, a seven step process of, from noticing uh, you're worrying about something, which is an upper limit promet, uh, problem um, you mentioned earlier. And so you were walking down the street uh, and past a jewelry store where your uh, wife, Kathleen, um, bought beautiful pieces over the years. You glanced at the window, admiring some of the items. And about 15 seconds later, you noticed worried thoughts about money. Specifically, the worry thoughts are about whether we have enough money to help a gifted young member of our family go to the private music uh, conservatory she wanted in. You notice the worry thoughts and then let them go, just dropping them in mid-thought without pursuing them. Then the third step, you, you wondered, so you kind of, you were aware of it real quick, and then you wondered what positive thing is trying to come. And so then number four, you said, I feel a pleasant sensation in my throat. And as you walk, continued walking along, you let yourself feel it thoroughly, savoring the pleasant sensation. And then as you get into the car, um, you, it, it occurred to you that, it, that seeing that piece of jewelry triggered a wave of guilt about the level of abundance you uh, enjoy. However, it also sparked how much you appreciate your wife and that you really wanted to, you wish there was you know, a piece of jewelry, some kind of material thing to, to, uh, to express the depths of those feelings. And from there, to cut it short, you, you picked up your phone with your wife and it's just, I'm sure that evening, you know, was probably one of the, um, uh, one of the most memorable evenings because you, you transformed that, you know, worry that we all occasionally have. Yes, well, you know, I've, I've done that so many thousands of times now. They all kind of blurred into one. That's why I couldn't remember the details of the one you were talking about, about the jewelry store. But once you told the story, it was a jewelry store that my wife had actually bought many things at and that I had actually bought things for my wife at for birthdays and that kind of thing. And um, so, um, yeah, now that I remember it, I was walking past that and just the sight of the jewelry then this whole thing unfolded. You know, it went to the guilt part and then to the wondering, oh gosh, am I really gonna be able to give her the money, you know, and to this um, friend of ours. And <clears throat> so um, the, the important part is to interrupt the pattern. Yeah. You know, so if you have this pattern of feeling guilty about something, just once you have to insert another thought into that. In this case, my thought was something like, oh, um, I don't have any control over that. You know, to let go of control over it. Mm -hmm. I don't have any control over, I have an influence over how much money we will have, but I don't have full control over that. And so to let go of control of things that you don't have any control over anyway. As a matter of fact, Solomon, the, uh, uh, the Big Leap, which came out in, I think, 2009 or so, I just published a sequel to it called The Joy of Genius. And uh, that just came out. But what that's all about is this thing I'm talking about, about letting go of control of the things that you don't have any control over. Yeah. Like whether other people like you or um, or even something like weight. A lot of times at seminars, I'll say, okay, how many of you can control your weight? And 
you know, maybe there'll be 100 people there and maybe 25 of them will stick up their hands. Yes, they're all nice and thin and everything. Yeah. And I say, okay, get on the scales here and let's see what it says. And it'll say 145. And I'll say, okay, go ahead and control your weight now. Lose a little bit or gain a little bit. <laughs> it illustrates the point about we don't have any control over it, influence. but we influence. And that's a key distinction to make because so many people are going around trying to control something that they don't have any ability to control anyway. And so it we eats up a tremendous amount of energy. Yeah. So does that apply to our thoughts as well? Um, and this might relate to, you know, as we continuously overcome the different uh, upper limit problems and worries, but the thoughts, we don't identify with them. And you make a point to state that, but we're still kind of responsible for them coming. Is that part of um, the upper limit problem that it just it requires a lot of awareness? Well, you make a very key issue there, or bring up a key issue, which is that you're not really in control of your thoughts. Yeah. Because they come out of nowhere. You know, you can kind of see where some of them come from, you know, like if you have to go to the bathroom, you'll be thinking of going to the bathroom. Yeah. Or if you're hungry, you'll be picturing, you know, a sandwich. And yet, probably most of our thoughts don't have any relationship to a thing like that. They're just bits of undigested, incomplete business mm -hmm. from living our lives. And so, most of us are trying to control our thoughts ineffectively. Whereas what you need to do is let go of trying to control your thoughts and instead start implanting a better quality of thought. So for example, if you're sitting around thinking, um, well, I'll give you an example. I remember one time along back before I met my wife, which so this goes back 40 years, I remember getting dumped by a woman. And I don't know if you've had this experience of getting dumped in a relationship, but it's very painful. Um, and I remember sitting around all one night thinking about how I could get her back. And then I realized, wait a minute, why would I want to get back someone who's made it clear that they don't want the kind of relationship I want with them. And I realized, well, there's this whole part of me that's really addicted to pain in relationships. Mm -hmm. That due to early events in my life, I thought that relationships were about pain. And so it took me a while to break that addiction. I was 34, I think, when I met Katie. And um, so I, up until then, I think I'd made just about every relationship mistake that people can make. But the, the best thing that I did in my entire life of manifesting good things is the month before I met my wife, I sat down and made a little list of the things that were absolutely the most crucial thing for me to have in a relationship. Hmm. I call them my absolute yeses. <clears throat> then I had some absolute noes, but I came up with three. One of them was that I wanted a relationship where both people could tell the truth, just that we listened to what the, we didn't try to hide anything from yeah. the other. Because I had many relationships where we hid things from each other and had trouble communicating the truth. The second thing, I'd been in many relationships where we got into blaming each other for things. And I figured out that there's only one way to get 
free from blame, and that is to take personal responsibility for whatever you've been creating. And that doesn't mean you blame yourself. You take responsibility for it. Just like if you notice uh, mosquitoes are flying in a window, you take responsibility and go close the window. You don't have to sit there and make yourself wrong for leaving the window open. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And so I wanted a relationship where we didn't blame, where we were good at making this move about, hmm, what is, what is this belongs to me? Hmm. Why would I be creating this drama right now? Hmm. And so the third thing is that I really wanted a relationship where both people were committed to our creativity, where we both were in the process of diving deep and bringing out things and presenting them to the world. You know, I'm a writer. I, I go inside every year. I write a book. I bring it out. The publishers publish it. I go in again, write another one, come out. So I'm always in this process of diving in and bringing out things to the world. And I wanted a partner who understood the creative process because I had been in other relationships with people that sort of criticized me for that, or they didn't feel like they were creative. And so they kind of had a weird relationship with their creativity. And so I wanted those three things. And so I did something very creative on this particular day. I got clear on those three things. And then I said out loud to the universe, and if it's not in the cards for me to have those three things, I'm happy to be alone, but I'm never going to settle for less than what I want. Then boom, a month later, there's wow. Katie in my life. And, and so it, you didn't like try to look for it or anything. That's, that's one of the keys of manifesting. That's awesome. It just came out of nowhere. That's the best kind of manifestation where you don't have to work at it too hard. Uh, and uh, awesome. yeah, as a matter of fact, wow. She was in a crowded room of about 50 people with me and then came over to ask me a question. And then we got into this conversation. And actually, interestingly enough, your, your viewers would probably be interested in this. Um, in our first conversation, I just told her the absolute bottom line truth of what I had discovered the month before. I said, basically, uh, I'd love to care, have you go out for a cup of coffee with me, but I want to let you know I'm only interested in relationships where both people tell the truth, both people take responsibility, and both people are committed to their creativity. So on those terms, would you like to go out for a cup of coffee? <laughs> Fortunately, she so said, straightforward. Yeah, so if you ever go to a singles bar, there's your good opening line. <laughs> I'll have to. I'm, uh, I'm 23, so, you know, I, I got some time at well, since we could get to another topic of the Einstein time, which is another sec place I love. But um, before, before we move to there, one, that's, that's incredible. And in the book, you also mention um, how you were talking to someone at a party, which came up with like a couple questions, like if this was at the end of your um, life, you know, um, we'll get to. But how would you now like look back at or offer advice to somebody or your younger self like that night when you um, were dwelling over the relationship? And now that you know, like not to um, attach to those thoughts, those thoughts, like it's still okay to feel sad and all that. So how do you suggest somebody, you know, just got a breakup like yourself did years ago? to sit with them and just allow those worrisome thoughts to come, but just to pass through. Yes, that's a really important point, Solomon, because 
think of a of a thought as being like a balloon and it's attached to a string and the string is attached to some emotion. Yeah. And so you notice the thought in your mind and the important move is to get underneath that and feel it in your body. Because most people don't make that move. They try to change their thoughts at the level of the mind and rather than going down the string to what it's really attached to. Wow. Most, thought, most troublesome thoughts are attached to the emotion of anger, the emotion of sadness, or the emotion of fear. Um, so, for example, you might feel sad about a breakup and you have thoughts about that person. But in a way, you have to just get underneath the thoughts because the important thing to do is give yourself permission to feel the emotion to just let yourself feel it for five or 10 seconds without distracting yourself in any way. That's very important because nobody ever tells you to do that. You know, did you, I never had anybody in the 10th grade or junior in college or anywhere ever tell me a piece of advice like that, yet it's absolutely essential mm -hmm. to learn how to embody your emotions and let yourself feel them so you can communicate about them. Because 10 seconds of clear communication in a relationship can resolve a problem that's gone back years and years. You say to your beloved, I'm scared about this, or I feel sad about this, or I'm angry about this. Microscopic truths. Yeah, you really you got to own those feelings at a deep level so you can communicate them. See, so many people when they're breaking up, I talk to people all the time who are, you know, I say, what happened in your last relationship? And they say, well, I just couldn't stand the criticism. Or I just couldn't stand the lies, or I just couldn't stand him or her cheating on me. It always boils down to an integrity problem of some sort. Mm -hmm. Integrity meaning not speaking honestly, or integrity meaning not feeling the wholeness of yourself. The word integrity actually comes from a Greek word that refers to wholeness. And so the first type of integrity we need to have is our integrity with ourself, where we're allowing ourselves to experience our feelings and also being able to clearly express them to other people. Wow, I love the analogy of a balloon. I'd, I'd been thinking of you know, thoughts as cars or clouds passing by, but when you put it in the analogy of a balloon and the thought is the, the balloon part, and you can tail it down the string, which is like the body, What's cool, another thing that kind of clicked is then when you allow yourself to feel that emotion, like with a balloon, then you can let it go. Absolutely. In fact, that's the only way to really let it go is yeah. to let yourself feel it thoroughly because as long as you're holding on, it stays attached. You know, you're, you're clutching the string then, but the moment you, ah, that balloon can leave. And, and I've seen it happen up close in this office, I don't know how many thousands of times. I remember distinctly the first time it ever happened, though, uh, w right after I learned this, a, a woman came in and um, I'd never seen her before. I had mean, not done any sessions with her. I had met her. She was the wife of a faculty member at the University of Colorado, where I used to be a professor in the counseling psychology department. Mm -hmm. And this is back in the 1970s. And so she came over and asked me if she could do a session with me. Um, she said she was having a crisis. And so she came by 
and she was feeling acute anxiety. She was really scared. And when we opened up to what she was scared about, it, it, what the issue was is her husband had just started having an affair with another woman and had told her about it and it was shaking up her whole world because they'd been married like 14 years, you know, and so I had two kids. And so it was the, you know, it was like in California here the other day, we had an earthquake. And uh, um, I've been through earthquakes before, but they always get your attention, no matter how many of them you've been through. And this one, I was sitting on my bed reading, and all of a sudden the bed began to, to sway. And I looked out at our swimming pool in the backyard, and there were waves in our swimming pool. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and so uh, fortunately, it wasn't a no damage was done. But it'll get your attention there for a moment. But you can imagine with her, her whole world was going through an earthquake. And so she didn't have anything to hold on to. So we had to find that place inside for her to hold on to. The only way to get to that is by owning it completely, by feeling it completely. And so what happened, she, I invited her to, to sit and feel it. And she began to breathe very deeply. <sighs> and so I just had her keep staying with it. Keep breathing right into the middle of that fear. Don't try to make it go away. Feel it. Explore it. And she did. And about a few minutes later, I don't know how many minutes, because it, it kind of it takes took on a life of its own. But in a few minutes. time, depending on how kind of severe the incident is, like a breakup. I, I think it, it, it only takes time to the extent that you're willing to feel it or not. So if you're willing to feel it, it can take, a minute. If you're not willing to feel it, it can take quite a bit of time. So the act of opening up is the key part and letting yourself feel it. In her case, it probably took five or 10 minutes for her to. <sighs> but the thing is that after she did that, she looked radiant. She was no longer afraid. And it really proved that thing that um, the great psychiatrist uh, Fritz Perl said about fear is excitement without the breath. You know, that if you allow yourself to participate with it instead of running from it. Like one of my old teachers used to say, peace of mind can only be attained through total participation. You can't shrink from anything. You've got to participate with it. So a, kind of like an acceptance as well? Yes, an acceptance of it, a whole body, wholehearted acceptance of it. Can you do that process properly by yourself or yes make, yeah you, you can only do it properly by yourself uh, it's, you can have a good coach just yeah. like you can use the big leap as your coach or have a friend as coach but it's your job to go into it nobody else is going to be able to dive in there with you and sometimes actually having other people around can slow you down more than it can speed you up um, because a lot of people haven't gone to that depth of themselves, you know, so they will stop you. They'll, you know, you'll say, you'll start to cry and they'll say, oh, don't cry, don't cry. You know, and those things where you, your emotions run up against those old don't, 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 that's where a lot of anxiety and stress comes from. Yeah. Wow. <sighs> Um, I'd love to go back to 
you were growing up and in, in you said your low, uh, younger 20s, you had kind of this, the um, awakening kind of moment where you were already in a psychology, psychology uh, degree. And then can you also kind of explain the, um, like that, that moment as well, because it sounds very similar to what I'm journeying through myself now. Well, interestingly enough, it took place at about the time of life that you are in right now. It took place when I was 24 years old. And so, uh, yes, I can explain the moment. I've written about it in a couple of my books, but uh, let me just give you a capsule summary of the moment. So, by the way, I weigh about 180 pounds now, just to give you a, a visual of me. So I look, you know, like a, I'm a six foot, 180 pound guy, I look athletic and uh, very nice. But on the day I had this moment, I weighed 300 pounds. So I weighed 120 pounds more than I weighed now. Mm -hmm. I was in this really painful relationship. Mm -hmm. I had this job that I hated. I was, in a, I was teaching and being a counselor in a school for delinquent boys, but being a counselor wasn't like a therapist. It was like I was the dorm counselor, you know, and I had to break up fights and things like that. So I had my BA, but I didn't have a, any training in counseling. However, I got very, very lucky because where I worked was only 20 minutes away from the University of New Hampshire. So after I had this enlightenment moment, I signed up in the master's degree program in counseling in, at uh, the University of New Hampshire. So, but here's what happened. I just had an argument with the woman I lived with at the time, um, and I went out for a walk to kind of clear my head, and it was a very cold day in New England, and it had just snowed, and it was probably, you know, it was definitely below freezing. So I was walking down this lonely country road, and I stepped on a place where the ice, there was a patch of ice, but the snow was covering it. So I didn't see the patch of ice. And I stepped on it and my feet shot out from under me and I went wham, down on my back on the ice and uh, on the road. And it didn't knock me out, but it sort of knocked me out of my ordinary experience for a moment. And it was as if I could see all the way down through the different levels of myself that I'd never seen before. I could feel how I had all this fat on my body because I overate to try to get away from these emotions I had inside, old feelings of anger and fear and sadness. So I used food to cover those up. And I saw this like, like a laser beam. I'd never realized it before. And then I had this other, while I was laying there on the ice, I could feel this other thing in me that I'd never felt before, which I could feel down at the bottom of everything in me was what I would now call pure consciousness. It was this pure awareness that didn't have any history on it or any aware, you know, any, any kind of problems associated. It was just the me that I was without any programming. And this all was happening just like that. Wow. Yeah. And this all took place in about two minutes. And then I began to kind of come back to my ordinary awareness. And I felt this kind of despair. Oh, I'm leaving behind all of this world I just discovered inside me. 
and I was coming back into my regular body, which I smoked heavily at the time. I smoked two or three packs of Marlboros a day. And as I came back into my body, I realized, oh, I really want a cigarette. Um, and that's how I knew I was, you know, that experience was over. And so, but I had this thought, which was, I'm going to do whatever it takes so I can feel that all the time, that feeling of pure consciousness. And then a series of amazing events happened where, uh, um, I don't know, you're, you're quite young. Do you, have you ever uh, heard of a guy named Richard Alpert who also went by the name of Ramdas? He's a yeah. spiritual teacher. Yes, actually, I read recently one of his, uh, his um, or heard or read one of his recent things about, he says something like, uh, if somebody asks me if I'm happy, I say yes. If they ask me if I'm depressed, I say yes. So he's like, I'm all things. Yes. Well, he's uh, quite an elder now. I think he's in his 80s. But when I met him, he had just come back from India. He'd been a Harvard professor, and he took LSD, and then he went to India and got really inspired by uh, a Hindu guru over there named Neem Karoli Baba. And so I met him just after he had come back from India for the first time. And so he had his robes on and everything. But he really inspired. Huh? At the school you were at? Uh, no. Um, his father had a big estate in Webster Lake, New Hampshire, which was about 30 miles down the road from the school I worked in. Mm -hmm. And a friend of mine who had been his, uh, had been one of Ram Dass's students at Harvard, called me up one afternoon and said he was going to visit an old Harvard professor of his who was doing some strange Hindu stuff and would I like to come? And so uh, he picked me up and we just rode down the road to the house. Uh, but uh, Meeting him, I asked him, you know, here I am. I weigh 300 pounds. I just had this moment of enlightenment. What should I do? And he said, well, you should maybe do some yoga and breathing activities. And I said, breathing activities? What do you mean? And he said, well, in India, if you have a problem, you might not go to therapy about it. You might go to a yoga retreat or go to a pranayama retreat and learn how to breathe or something like that. It's just another way of handling your issues, he said, but it goes right down into them rather than just talking about them. And I said, well, that's a wild idea. Where would I learn more about that? And he made this little gesture with his hand. He says, don't worry, something will come to you. Well, the next day, that's such a bold thing to say to somebody like you that's like, who is this guy? Yeah, yeah. And uh, you see, I'd been an English major in, high, in college. And, uh, and I, when I was in high school, I only wanted to be an English teacher when I grew up. You know, that was my goal. And so, uh, and write the great American novel. I wanted to be an English teacher and write the great American novel. But this is the moment where I became a full-fledged, passionate psychotherapist, counselor, whatever you want to call us but um it um so the next day i went to the supermarket to get some food and um i was checking out and i looked to the left and there on a little kiosk was a book called yoga youth and reincarnation by jess stern and this is the year of 1969 we're talking about here and at that time, paperback books cost either 65 cents for the cheap ones or 95 cents for the really expensive ones. And so uh, the same ones that cost 6.99 for now. Uh, so, and this was one of the 95 cent ones, you know, the really expensive ones. And so I, okay, so I got the book and took it home. And by golly, 
it was a compendium of yoga activities, breathing activities, meditation activities, just one after the other, dozens of them. And so I just started doing all these things and taught myself how to meditate and I taught myself how to do yoga and you know, got into all of these kinds of things just out of the book. Quickly, when those moments, I love those moments, like you said, when you spot that book, yeah. there's, there's not much of a, a doubt to buy it. It's kind of like uh, naturally, right? Like you're kind of like, you're kind of like, uh, but then you still like, you're like, yes, it just, it just, did, does that kind of make sense? Like what, yeah. what, yeah. It's just like what you're supposed to be doing. Yes, you know, exactly, it's like, exactly. Yeah. Um, there's a wonderful poem by Kathleen Rames, Rains. Um, I think it's called The Invisible Way. It's about how what is it that makes birds fly across the sky in a certain pattern? You know, what makes the birds know how to get like we have here in the United States? Um, hummingbirds that migrate up and finches that migrate up from Guatemala. You know, how do they manage to find their way? Well, she calls it an invisible way. Well, I think once I began to open up to myself, it was as if I got on an invisible way that led me around to all sorts of different amazing things that I would never have experienced otherwise. I think that's, you know, that in the future, we'll probably find a lot more mysterious ways we get around in the world. But one way I think we just home in on a certain beacon in ourselves and then just keep following that as we go around. And then that's how you really become aware of the different upper limit problems. Yes. Bring up because then those are the only really kind of things in the way for those things that are supposed to happen to happen. Yeah. It's a series of little miracles. Yeah. Well, I love that story. Thank you so much for sharing. It's, it definitely resonates a lot because it's, it's very similar. And to be honest, that's kind of how I came across your uh, book because Growing up, I really never really liked the gifts my mom would get me. I, uh, I would give her a list of things I wanted for my birthday or Hanukkah or whatever it was. And she would never get one of the things that was on there. But it wasn't until, um, if you've heard of, he's a very big um, guy in personal development now and the, com the owner of, the, the CEO of the company Mind Valley, Vishen Lakiani. I know Vision very well. Oh, awesome. Uh, so I'm, I, I, I've done multiple of their courses and stuff and, and help with like their online um, new platform or new like students taking their quests. But uh, I digress about that. My mom got me his book uh, two years ago. And I was like, what is this? Like, I didn't ask for this book. But then it ended up being such a, a brilliant book that I was like, wow, I should really not judge whatever my mom gets me, there's a reason she gets me something like this. And so I had like a book list for what I wanted for my uh, previous, my 23rd birthday last May. And I, I was like, hey, like family, I, I always make like a list. <laughs> These are the things that I want. And my mom gets me your book, The Big Leap. And my initial thought is of all the books I had on there, this is the one. <laughs> <laughs> but sure enough, like, look, I, I'm, I, I can't look past. I'm, I'm really grateful. It's, and I'll bring up next, but I'm, I'm really grateful 
to have read this book and now to be able to speak with you about it. Um, but to, to continue on with that, one of the things that is probably my, my favorite about your book and other similar books, and it's how I really want to formulate the, a book that I have in mind that I want to manifest, is how you have, what's the word, progressive questions to, um, and pro progressive and kind of practical questions to help the reader, like myself, determine the areas of incompleteness, as well as how to determine your own zone of genius. Your, your whole, I loved your whole story and how you came across it, and it's, it's multiple years, and so that's why I get, I have to remind myself to be, be patient of things. But how did you really formulate these questions? Because what I love about it, and a skill that I admire about Einstein, and that I really want to cultivate, is being able to break things down into simple questions. Because when we break things down to simple questions, it's almost like these answers come to us. Yes. Um, I don't know if it was in The Big Leap, but I talked about a friend of mine who we, we call these wonder questions. When you open up a really big question about something you really want to know. Well, he had never had any good success in relationship. And one time he got this big question inside him, which was, how can I get the love I want and need? And instead of trying to answer that question, he simply opened up and <sighs> celebrated the question. And we teach people how to do that here at our institute because it's one of the most powerful ways to manifest something is to turn it into a big open-hearted open-minded question and then just hatch it to the universe and one of the big well in working with executives i found all of these questions that i put in the big leap like the key one i think which is um how can I express my true genius mm -hmm. in such a way that it brings rewards to me and everyone around me? Another one is, what is it I most love to do? Yeah. What do I most love to do? I ask more people that question. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, another one is, what do I do that when I'm doing it, I lose track of time. Mm -hmm. That gets into Einstein time, another chapter in the big leap. That's very important too, because I really want everyone to own time rather than be the victim of time. Mm -hmm. And so human beings have been making up stuff about time for hundreds, thousands of years. But what's really true is not that there's a clock ticking out here anywhere, but are we in the right place at the right time? Am I in this moment? Am I here? Am I now? Because that's where the good stuff is going to happen. Yeah. There's a great quotation from um, John Lennon where he says, uh, um, life is what's going on while you're making other plans. You know, that life is going around while you're busily thinking of other things in your mind. Um, and so the important, I always say, 
the hardest journey that a human being ever makes is the 12 inch journey from here down to here. And it's 12 inches, but it takes a lifetime to really get good at it. Because when I was your age was when I started and now here 50 years later, I'm still, I'm thriving and I want to be more thriving tomorrow. Yeah. Very cool. Just so that it's, it started with, and then the key thing is, is the tone as well. Like, you know, do you speak about, it's not how can I, it's like, how can I, the tone is very important as well because that's wonder. Yes. It's exactly. wonder, you know, and to express wonder, you don't go, I'm wondering about that. You know, it's an act of, it's an opening. Yeah. My my favorite question is when you you have like the four 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 different questions to really determine the unique ability, but the third one is uh, in your work what produces the highest ratio of abundance and satisfaction to the amount of time spent. So even if you were to do ten seconds or a few minutes of it, an idea or deeper co uh, connection may spring forth. Does that change for you over time? Because I feel like mine like right now like. If I love having a conversation like this with somebody like yourself, that it just, whenever it's over or when it's a deep conversation, I'm just able to transcend whatever upper limit problems come up afterwards. And I just go straight into creative mode. And, and it sounds like, like when you tune into what you're doing right now, does this feel like you're doing your genius? Part of it. Uh-huh. I think it's, it's like a stepping stone. It's like mm -hmm. definitely part of it. Yeah. And so, yeah. Well, I think that's the fact that you've homed in on it at this stage of the game, this early in life, is a good thing. Congratulations. You know, most people die with their potential fully intact when they're 80 years old. But you're opening up to your potential already. Thank you. It, uh, it's, it's a true honor. It's, well, be uh, sure to give my regards to your mother for, for her taste in giving you good books. <laughs> I will, absolutely. So um, I want to be as respectful of time. Uh, I, I was told by your assistant about an hour, so I have a couple more questions if you don't mind. Yeah, a couple more would be good. Then I have to uh, do something else at the top of the hour. What um, kind of tips can you offer? to increase the, uh, an, the increase awareness, because all this work takes a lot of uh, awareness and the ability to maintain uh, the attitude of wonder. I was just gonna show you something here. I'm gonna have to get up to get it. We give out a, um, a wristband when people graduate from our trainings. Um, and it's a little silicon wristband. And you can't really see on it, but it says, breathe, move, love. And if you think about it, any situation is going to be helped if you, if you breathe a little bit with it because the fight or flight reflex is to hold your breath. You know, so when people get scared, they forget to breathe. But listen to Fritz Perls. Fear is only excitement without the breath. If you take a few breaths, you turn it into excitement. 
the other thing, so it says breathe, move, love. We say breathe because no matter where you are and if you're feeling totally stuck, you can always remember to breathe and move yourself around a little bit. And that gets things moving just on a very fundamental physical level. And the third, breathe, move, love. Love is an active tool. It's, it's a wonderful thing to feel and it's a wonderful thing to do because ultimately the only solutions to many things that go on in our lives is simply to love them as they are. They don't change until we learn to love them as they are. And so the act of opening yourself, opening your heart to love something that you haven't loved before, that's a really key part of the process. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's like a loving acceptance. So even in those times of hmm, crap, for, for lack of a better word at this moment, is, it, it's, is that what you kind of mean? You're breathing yeah. like, man, that was such a crappy day. And, or yeah, I and then, about uh, this. see that, Love it. that thought, it's a crappy day, is a balloon that's tied to a string. Huh? And the string is down in something you're angry about, something you're sad about, or something you're scared about. Wow. <laughs> to, I, I, I feel like uh, the more I break past some upper limit problems, more seem to come. <laughs> yeah, that's the way it works. Welcome <laughs> when does to, it end, Doctor? reality. When does it end? Uh, I'd give yourself 80, 90 years. <laughs> If you're not seeing an imp- if you're not seeing any improvement about 90 when you're about 90 give me a call. <laughs> um I'd love to hear a little bit about like your morning routines maybe like meditations you might be doing as well as um crafting a, a unique ultimate success mantra and, and if it changes kind of over the years. Well, the one I put in the book is still the one that I use. I, I've had different versions of it, but the basic idea is I expand every day in love, abundance, and creativity as I inspire other people who are interested to do the same. Mm-hmm. And that's very important to me because I, I want to have a life stance every day of opening up to more love, more creativity, and more abundance. Because the more I can do that, the more I'm able to inspire other people to do yeah. that. So that's my life. That's what I've been up to for the last 30 or 40 years since I got these ideas. And um, so the, the act of doing that is really incredibly important to me. I begin every day uh, with meditation. I, I do most of my writing in the morning. And so like today, a typical day, I woke up around 4.30 or 5. And then after I get up and move around, do a little breathing and have a hot cup of coffee or something. I go back and I meditate for a while. And then after about 20 minutes, I finish meditating and then I start writing. I go right into my creative work. And then I work for about the next two hours on whatever writing project I'm working on. My wife likes to sleep in until around 7.30 or 8. So I have a couple hours in the morning where it's just me and the cats and uh, very quiet. And so uh, then when my wife gets up, I like to... Uh, make her a cup of coffee and take it in and hang out with her for a while. So I've usually finished my writing by the time she wakes up. And then the rest of the day, I um, just do other things like today. 
I went over to the spa with uh, my wife and we had a, a facial and a, um, and a salt glow. Uh, so that was really fun. And then tomorrow I'm going to play golf over there. Um, so um, I have kind of created my perfect life over the past 30 years, always asking myself, is this what I really love to do? So just the more I ask myself that, the more I kept choosing things that I really love to do. And so the last 20 or 30 years, I've only done things that I really love to do. Does, does your um, ultimate success mantra on days when it just really doesn't feel like you are, for example, expanding in abundance, love, and success? And I have this, like, for myself, there are days that, you know, it doesn't really feel like you are progressing forward. But, I mean, if you look at things in a higher perspective, you still are. Does it does it really help you remind you or? Yeah, uh, I think that you also need to realize that the organic process of human life is not to go push, 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 push all the time, but it's to go push, rest, push, rest. So, you know, really engage with things and then rest a little bit. So you don't have to be expand, expand, expand all the time. It could be more like a breathing process. So don't fight the rest portion. Don't don't you know, just go with it. A lot when I I played the basketball up until last year, and so that's what it, that's that's what led me to this. Yeah. Push, push push. What um, part of the world do you live in? I am in Houston, Texas, right now. I was in also have a place in Dallas, but my um, place in Dallas ends at the end of this month. So I'm currently with my parents in Houston right now, Houston, Texas. So it's very hot and humid. Oh, I've been there many times. I, I remember when just popped into my mind when you said Houston, I was down there to give a speech a while back and I, in the month of August, and I had the noble intention of getting up early in the morning and going for a run and I got all dressed out and then I got outside. <laughs> And it was like I got hit by, I was like standing in front of a pizza oven. What, what type of um, meditation do you practice? I do uh, TM. Uh, I do an advanced version of TM. They have, once you learn the basic one, then you can do different advanced. I'm like on about my fourth advanced version of TM. Is there like a certain place you get? get that from or you would learn I think you yeah there's I think you could just look up where the local TM center is where oh. yeah I'm sure in Houston there would be a huge one yeah or I can ask I've mm -hmm. been I've been currently doing this one by Joe Dispenza Dispenza of your your you do you know him well as well I don't know him well I've met him a few times wow all right last couple questions I'd love to um, ask what advice would you really offer to your younger self or you know I guess that would be kind of me at 23 what kind of tips or questions to ask myself daily or your younger self well I think the big question to keep homing in on is doing more of what you most love to do that's key thing um, but you know at your age we have a saying in developmental psychology in your 20s, your job is to experiment. In your 30s, 
your job is to find your life, to really find what you most love to do. Your 40s is about building your life, building up a business associated with that or whatever you want to be doing. Your 50s and 60s are about really opening up and coming into full integrity, really spending your whole life doing what you most love to do. So that's the ideal circumstance. So your job right now in your life is to enjoy your experimentation. Keep experimenting, trying out various things. And then as you get more toward your 30s, you'll find out what it is you really lights you up on a daily basis. That's awesome. And thanks for sharing that. Well, Dr. Hendricks, before I let you go, <laughs> before I let you go, <laughs> what is the gift that you'd love to share with the world? More so than you have been doing for many, many years now. And as your ultimate success mantra is, you're inspiring me every day. So I'd love to hear what is the gift that you have today to share with the world. It's to open up to your true genius, to your full creativity, to go in a room. If you haven't done it so far today, just go in a room by yourself for 10 minutes and ask yourself this wonder question. Hmm. What is my true genius? Hmm. What is my true genius? Hmm. You know, just focus in on that. Start the process of discovering your genius and bringing it forth because, um, We've got a lot of problems to solve on this planet, and it's going to take the genius of lots of people in order to do that. You mentioned it in the book, but how do you know when you're there, when you found it? Probably the best way to know is you have a whole body experience of serene delight. Mm -hmm. Awesome. I'm going to do that right after I let you go. Well, since it's 9 o'clock in the evening, get ready for bed. I'll do it before bed and maybe uh, I'll have an awesome dream about it too. Thank you so much, Dr. Hendricks. It's a, it's a true honor and I hope to be able to connect with you again sometime soon in the near future and continue to learn from you. So thank you so much. All right. Thanks a lot, Solomon. Be well. Take care. Thank you very much for tuning in and listening to these wonderful gifts, which I hope have brought you some great value. We have many more guests to come and gifts pour over this world. And don't forget, if you have enjoyed any of these episodes or would like to hear some more, please leave me a review on Apple or Anchor Podcast or that little star on Outcast. I'm always looking for topics to learn and talk about, gifts to share, and value to bring to us all. For more updates, check out SolomonEzra.com. You can also sign up for my newsletter about new podcasts and blogs.